It's episode 72 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today, like always, is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. How are you guys doing in the new year? Good. Yeah? Yeah. I just got back from 14 days on the road, so I'm happy to be home in my home. You, and thank you, you for coming over here and recording, so you, I didn't you have to were, slap what? out on the road again. You were on tour with the podcast? I was. Yeah, I was. I Ryan was. was doing a solo podcast. He went on tour with that. I was in lacrosse. For, it's like uh, when Jeff Tweedy leaves Wilco. <laughs> I was in lacrosse for the first half of it, visiting my in-laws, and for the second half of it, we went to Florida to visit my parents. So I came back, and it was like 40 in Minneapolis yesterday or on friday and i said oh this is really nice like i was not expecting it to be nice here so not too bad jp what'd you do uh ended up traveling a bunch through the midwest to to visit family and uh have been like extremely conflicted about all of the nice weather like i was just in chicago uh yesterday and walked around the city with a spring jacket because it was like 50 degrees which you're like, wow, this is actually really nice. The sun's out. This is a really pleasant day. And then you're also like, it is January, and that's probably bad. Uh, so, you know, I feel conflicted about those sorts of things. Yeah, I know. I have, a, I have a son who I think he wants to get out and, like, try playing hockey a little bit. He wants to get on skates. And don't, Steve, don't, don't do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> for a number of reasons, yeah. I mean, just like the money alone is unfathomable, but really it's the fact that you're going to be getting up at four in the morning every weekend to take your child for. What do you think I do anyway? Well, yeah, you, you're weird that way. You do wake up at ungodly hours. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it would be nice if it got cold enough to kind of freeze over a little bit, but it's been nice out and obviously it's nice to enjoy everything. Hopefully it warms up soon and then we can get baseball started again. What do we got? Six weeks? Something like that. I mean, I was in Madison to to see my folks and uh, driving by, you know, going downtown and going by all the lakes and everything like that. Like, I was like, people still have their permanent ice shanties out on the lake. And I was like, what the hell? That is going to sink into the lake. I'm always amazed. Yeah, I don't know how that that stuff hasn't fallen in yet, but they do it. Anyways, uh, hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page, which now that I'm back after a couple weeks off, uh, I'll update that again. The which one? The Facebook page. Oh, the Facebook page that, yeah, it exists and we update it sometimes. Well, I usually update it. There's truth in advertising to that. Clearly, clearly when I had stuff going on and couldn't be on the podcast, uh, Ryan didn't update it. So, but anyways, I'll do it. So if you want to follow that, we are there. Uh, you can follow the three of us on Twitter and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which is coming out soon. Yeah, soon. And we've had some fun ones in the past month. We did. We did a big one, which uh, people seem to like. I got a little bit of feedback I saw on that. So anything in particular? On the, well, yeah, we did the top tens. We did yeah. our full. Uh, both JP and I did our top tens, and so yeah, if you want to hear a long, most of the podcast, almost all of it was dedicated to us discussing our top tens in the Brewer system. Yeah, so we might touch on a little bit of that later in the podcast. But if you want to get the full rundown. Subscribe on Patreon and you can check that out. And we have a whole bunch of 
back episodes so people can check those out too. Yeah, this upcoming episode will be number 12 because we will have been doing it a full year. At so. this point, they could probably go back and listen to see what your top tens and predictions were last year. Well, I think we we started it after we yes. did our we did some our top tens on the regular podcast. Some of that's on the regular podcast. So if you want to go back and see how accurate they were from year to year, you can always do that as well. So anyways, uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing from Dragon Flute to Block Party. Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. January 18th, K4 is re-releasing Double Fantasy Factory, and this time it's in bottles. Go dun, pick some dun, up. Dun, dun. There you go. Uh, it's double the hops of the original, and I think it's like 9.1% uh, ABV. That's spicy meatball. Yeah, so, uh, you know, don't drink the full six-pack all at once. Oh, yeesh. <laughs> also... Uh, you can get 20% off of merch in the K4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Visit the brewery on Kidsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Hey, we, we do actually have some news to discuss. It was so great. I mentioned this on Twitter, but I was driving home. And I got to within the Milwaukee general vicinity and my phone blows up from messages from people saying, oh, the Brewers just made a trade. And I was like 15 minutes from home so I could come home, put some stuff away, sit down and enjoy a nice leisurely couple hours of reading about Brewers trade stuff. What did you think the trade was initially? I knew the first thing I saw was somebody said Keon Broxton. So I was okay. like, oh, okay. This wasn't like. I didn't know if your mind got like running where you thought, oh, they traded a Chase Anderson or somebody like that. N- well, or if it was Corey Kluber or something. <laughs> yeah, they traded they traded Chase Anderson for Corey Kluber. It totally makes sense. That I, I've seen that suggested places. JP, would you do that that deal? For, for straight up, I don't. I, you'd have to look at how many control years you'd be given up. I think, uh, I yeah, I think uh, uh, Anderson's salary. That really, you got to take that into account. That's the deal. It's it's but the same. Kluber I and Anderson both have two, three years of control left. <laughs> I wasn't sure, however. Well, so first of all, that's not the same because there are option years involved in Chase Anderson. So you wouldn't. You'd have much more roster flexibility with Chase Anderson. Kluber's are options as well. I don't. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> I will also say that when you said there has been news, I thought you were talking about David Eckstein joining the Pirates front office. The Ecksteiniest thing to ever happen. They're, no. they're collecting so I, all the Ecksteins. They, yeah, they have multiple Ecksteins. I could not believe that David Eckstein is joining somebody and like this isn't like real outrage, but I genuinely was surprised that David Eckstein was joining a front office as like a special assistant to whatever it is not the Cardinals. Eckstein is going to be the new Craig Council. This is the path for like the Pirates. Yeah, Council became a special assistant with the Brewers front office and eventually worked his way to manager, and now he's like the best manager in baseball. Eckstein is going to outgrit him as manager. But like, I can't believe that somebody like the Cardinals, especially when they were looking at getting rid of Matheny and, and like don't have like this long-term option didn't weren't like, 
David no. looking to get into management, we should probably like bring him. I don't think the new guy, hold on, hold on. The new guy that they got, he was good for like three weeks. So they're like, we got to extend that dude. And they handed him all the monies and we're like, we're extending you long term because you had a good three weeks. That'd be something physically going from Matheny to Eckstein. Just like, <laughs> like quick, throw all the uh, jerseys in the dryer. We got to shrink them up real good. <laughs> so anyways, the Brewers actual trade, they traded uh Keon Broxton to the Mets for reliever Bobby wall wall, mm-hmm. Bobby wall. Okay. Uh, Felix Valerio. And wasn't there one other one? Mm-hmm. I put it in there. Oh, Adam Hill. Sorry, I skipped over it. That's what happens when you bolded it on the script. I know. I was going to say I put everything in bold to help you out. You did. <laughs> and I skipped right over Adam Hill. So, uh, yeah. So they got a couple uh, relief pitchers. Well, I mean, they got they got one guy who's surely going to be a relief pitcher in Bobby Wall. Yes. And he was credit to beyond the box score for pointing this out. He led all AAA relievers in K percentage, K to base on ball and swinging strikes last year. There's real stuff there. He's dealt with a lot of injuries over time. So you are looking at a guy who's who's had injury issues, but raw stuff and ability to miss bats, it's there. And you've also got the ability to uh, bump him between the majors and the minors, which we've talked about as being something that they really do value. Yeah, so JP, is Wall, uh, is he ready this season? Did they acquire a guy who's ready to kind of start pitching in the major leagues right away? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Bobby Wall used to be in in the Oakland system um, and was kind of an, I, I don't know if you want to say like an unheralded prospect, but he was somebody that in scouting circles like was getting a lot of love and it, when he was down in the lower levels and just saying like this was a guy to watch and then started to to go through a lot of injury issues he had tommy john surgery he had uh surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome but he's a guy who now hits triple digits and he's got a plus fastball he's got a plus uh, plus slider he can miss tons of bats the problems with him is that uh, tons of injuries which you know i, I mentioned before uh, struggles to throw strikes at times as well. So in a lot of ways, it, the, the stuff isn't isn't comparable like if you dig into it too hard. But he's not all that different from somebody like Jacob Barnes. Um, and so what they have is somebody that if he's able to throw a good amount of strikes, and actually in AAA last year, he was throwing more strikes than he was uh, in the big leagues. But, you know, command issues have been a problem throughout his career. And... Bobby Wall is somebody that can come in and really bring some high octane stuff. So he he's a guy that, yeah, should add a really nice arm in in bullpens now that seem to just churn out guys who are throwing upper nineties year in year out. Every single every single bullpen just seems to have like three or four of these guys that just come in and throw absolute fire, which is kind of crazy now. You know, I think what like ten years ago, if we had Bobby Wall, who like legitimately hit triple digits last year everyone would be going nuts over this guy and now everyone's like yeah well he throws upper 90s great like yeah he's got some injury issues well yeah if you had a guy that was throwing triple digits that was your closer for the next few years before he blew his arm out yeah absolutely you know so it's it's funny how that's kind of changed over the years. And that's why when people complain about, you know, the rise in strikeout rate, it's like, well, when you got guys coming in and basically juice the gun like that, 
Yeah, you're going to strike a lot of guys out. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody, everybody is throwing that hard now when it seems like where it seems to be. I know literally not everybody is. But if you look at what the Brewers have, I mean, what they're going to have Canable throwing upper 90s. They got, uh, I mean, Jeremy Jeffress throws 96. They've Jacob got Barnes is upper 90s. Jacob Barnes is upper 90s. Walls upper 90s. Um, and it's. And then they kind of match it in a really interesting way now with guys like Claudio, who just kind of has a really weird stuff and a weird delivery. They liked guys like uh, Oliver Drake, who is seemingly on his route to be a part of every 30, you know, every single team in baseball over the next couple of years. He's going to write his memoir on the road. (laughs) It's like I don't we were talking about how many how many teams he's been on, but it just like has continuously grown since then. But. You know, they like last year they had um, uh, they had Corbin Burns who was throwing upper nineties. They had uh, Brandon Woodruff who was throwing ninety seven, ninety eight out of the pen. I mean, it's just arm after arm after arm after arm. And for a long time, I think what we did is we talked about how the Cardinals just seemed to have umpteen guys that could come in and throw upper nineties, and we were all just like. How is that possible? But now every team has it. When Trevor Rosenthal and uh, oh, who would it have been like uh, Joe Kelly? When those guys were percolating up the Cardinal system, yeah, it, it was like, how do you keep having all these guys you can throw ninety eight, ninety nine? Are you surprised that they were able to get this kind of return for Keon Broxton? Um, I mean, in some ways, I'm not surprised that Bobby Wall is is a guy that that moved just because he's somebody that moves between AAA and the big leagues, and and he wasn't particularly successful when he came to the up to the Mets. Uh, he's somebody that has so many injury issues. Um, I'm a little bit more surprised that they ended up getting a guy like Adam Hill for somebody like Keon Broxton, but. What I will say is I think especially for a team that's looking for potential kind of well-rounded impact in the outfield, I think that Keon Broxton probably has underrated value because you know that you're going to be able to play him no matter what uh, defensively, always. Right. But going back to your point about Hill, we should talk a little bit more about Hill. He was the fourth rounder of the Mets this last year and really was an effective starting pitcher at Clemson. And Baseball America, in their write-up, said he was a guy who was getting talked about early in the the draft process in the 2018 cycle as being a guy who could go in the first round. And then he had a very disappointing um, platform year heading into the draft and just wasn't that good. And it seems like when we read the thing, you've got, you know, he's six foot five, 215 pounds, big durable frame, has some ability to throw high velocity. Uh, really does have a fastball that seems to wiggle. So he gets good life on it. It sounds like a lot of other Brewers guys that have sort of been taken in in those areas lately. When you look at people like Zach Brown and you look at Corbin Burns and you look at some guys like that, not saying that he's going to end up this way, but you see some similarities here and you start to see a type emerge. And I think we can start to kind of talk about, well, they definitely seem to have a type. You get the sense that Adam Hill was probably a guy they liked and might have taken themselves in the draft had they, you know, things fall in a different direction. So it it definitely seems to fit with what they've been doing. Uh, well, so I think one of the things with Adam Hill is uh, 
I think a lot of people have really been talking him up as I don't want to say uh, better than he is, but he's got pretty big question marks in terms of his ability to throw strikes in terms of his off speed stuff, kind of how it's going to be able to, to live up. Um, it ticked up a little bit last year, which is, is obviously a good thing to hear about. Um, and he did have a, a, a down year uh, at South Carolina, but I don't, I, I've seen this multiple places where you're talking about the Brewers having a type. I don't really understand what that means. Like, a college guy who's got a like a big frame and a big fastball like i don't really know what that means and how that's different from like tyler young or taylor youngman that everybody was talking about how that was a huge bust but he was a big guy with a big fastball and the brewers wanted to have that type and then they somehow went away like zach brown's not anything like adam hill um so i'm not i i and i'm not like picking on you for that i just i've seen this in multiple places and i don't really understand what that means I think the idea being that you've got a guy and like physically he does. There's a physical, a, a comp to be made to Corbin Burns at least, but just the idea that these are guys that's where they're targeting pitchers in the draft. Now they're going after college pitchers who have some definite stuff upside, but who have some flaw that they're looking to correct in that, in this period in the draft, when you're looking at the third, fourth, fifth round. Well, but everybody at that point is going to have a flaw that needs to be corrected. Exactly. But they seem to have gone after like a very particular, like in this case, you're, you're looking at correcting uh, command and getting him in the zone more. And which we've seen them do with Jimmy Nelson. They worked on him with that. Like, yes. In particular, um, but that's been a big focus for their pitching philosophy in general. Yes, it has. It, just overall. So, yeah, you, you might be right. that There's maybe too much being made of that type thing. That it's probably true. But just like nowadays, a college pitcher with a big fastball who ends up going in the middle rounds is like every college pitcher that goes in the middle rounds because college pitchers, unless they have like really dynamic stuff are going to fall to the middle, the middle rounds because they have less negotiating leverage and that's going to be able to help you sign guys and all of those things. But like there aren't very many college pitchers outside of the rare one that, you know, I guess maybe it's a soft tossing lefty, but soft tossing lefty now just basically means low nineties. Um, or you're like rare college pitcher who has unbelievable command and throws low 90s as as uh as a right-hander and you know still falls in that mid midpoint there um and like I don't know it just it seems to me that like the brewers have had a little bit of success getting college arms in in the middle rounds recently but largely that's because where that's where they've been drafting guys not like they've been drafting college pitchers early and like those aren't the guys that have been hitting it's been the guys later it just seemed they take younger position players and uh high school arms early and then the college guys they go and just fill out their system elsewhere um i think for me it's it's much more um hill and and I don't I think Burns was just a guy who fell that they saw unbelievable value to um, Brandon Woodruff. You know, he's a guy who went in the 11th round. He's not somebody that really fits that mold. Zach Brown is a guy who 
um, was kind of brought in to be a workhorse guy. And Hill, I think if they're looking for anything in college arms, it's guys with uh, a big fastball that they are like, they might be a reliever. Right? Like, this is a guy who has a big fastball, struggles with his command a little bit, has shown the ability to miss some bats. To me, that sounds like a guy that, yeah, you're hoping that if you can get some consistency or you can get some command, he can maybe be a starter. But if not, that sounds like a guy you can transition to the pen and say, just let it loose and see what happens. Yeah, he does seem like a guy, especially with the command issues that we've seen from him this last year, both in college and at the pro level, that, yeah, you would be pretty quick to go, okay, that's probably a reliever, but... Yeah, it depends on what you can get straightened out and what they can work with. He is 21 years old, so. I say, I mean, like, Bobby Wall was actually that kind of guy in the lower levels, too. He was a starter who just missed tons and tons of bats uh, over the over a couple of years, I think, like 20, 2013, 2014-ish. And, and then missed tons of time. Well, and struggled and struggled to throw strikes, and then he missed a bunch of time with injuries, and they said, yeah, go be a reliever, and he suddenly has become somebody that just, like, flew on everyone's radar again. How much are we going to see a blurring between some of these, you know, starting pitching prospects and, and relief prospects when they're drafted? Because, I mean, right now we have starters going five innings, and that's a decent number of innings for the team before they cover four innings with relief pitchers. Relievers are going, you know, a couple innings at a time. Yeah, it, it could be. And, like, I've been a little bit resistant to this to this kind of overarching narrative that the Brewers are going to an overarching bullpenning system, because I think what they do is they basically send out guys and say, we're going to get you to go four innings and then four or five innings. And if you're pitching really well and you're not giving up base runners, we're just going to let you go until, until you do give up base runners. And then there'll be a a short hook. And then we'll try to go for guys that can maybe go two innings uh, in the bullpen after that. But with that said, I'll be interested to see what they do this year because there has been a lot of noise from both Council and Stearns that have like explicitly said they're going to continue to blur the lines. Yeah, and that uh, the fact that they backed off so hard because all during the stretch run last year you heard, yeah, Corbin Burns is going to be a rele- uh, starter next year. They they stuck to that. Both Stearns and Council said it multiple times. And then after the season in the postseason wrap-up, parser they did they seem to back off of that and kind of played more the well we're going to be blurring the lines and so you don't know if burns is going to be the next job you know right-handed version of josh Hader or something that they're going to try to deploy that way or if woodruff is going to be that way you, well, know, you was, would think somebody's going to start but somebody's probably going to be in relief at least to start too well i re- i read that and this is my own personal reading so obviously i don't know this until we start to see things happen in the spring um, but I think the reason they kind of backed off of Burns is because Woodruff was the guy that they relied on to be more of a starter in the postseason. And Woodruff was somebody that really stepped up where if you were saying we needed a young guy to come in and be somebody that was a starter in the upcoming year. And we're like, we think Burns is going to be that guy. And then in late September and then into October, Brandon Woodruff was kind of coming in. And now the Brewers might be like, well, I mean, if Woodruff can be that guy, maybe we can keep Burns here and he can be a dynamic multi-inning reliever. Well, and we've discussed it before. You take away that early start in Colorado for Woodruff. Oh, yeah. He had where, one bad start. Where it was terrible, and that skewed numbers for him the rest of the season. I mean, he was 
they weren't long starts, but he had a lot of, or he had a bunch of successful starts during the season before. He also that had postseason. one really shaky start at Miller Park against the Cubs early sure. on, where he went like three and a third innings and pitched like a hundred pitches, but he didn't give up a ton of runs. It was more he just he was putting runners on, and the Cubs were that was before their offense collapsed. So they were well, a, a complete uh, meat grinder, a lineup at that point. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, this will get into a question uh, we got from Jay Google on Twitter. He asks, which free agent pitcher do you think they make an attempt to bring in? Do they bring in a Derek Holland, Drew Pomerantz, Brett Anderson, or do they have those guys with Burns and Woodruff? Are they there? Are they kind of set with what they want to go into the season with? I think that I still think they're going to bring in uh, another arm. It might be somebody that is a uh, Wade Miley type minor league split contract. Um, to see kind of you know how he looks during spring to see if they're going to go in that direction because they've done is that it, the last years. Is it fair to say Wade Miley at this point because Miley pitched a lot better than we ever would have expected? Well, I understand what you're saying, setting it up in the same way, but it is funny what the expectations of saying a Wade Miley type is going to well, do to some guys. Sure, I guess I'm. I mean, like getting somebody who is a fail safe in case something doesn't work in spring and that you can just bring in to soak up some innings. Um, I'm not saying that like, cause they did it with Giovanni Gallardo too. And obviously Giovanni Gallardo came in mm-hmm. and they said, yeah, well we don't need that. Um, but so they've we done don't it any, every single year. We don't want to start calling them Giovanni Gallardo types. No, no. <laughs> Reading but between the lines. Back, I would say to go back to the Brandon Woodruff point though, in his last 13 outings before the, the postseason, uh, he had a, a one eight ERA. Uh, and his his BABIP was actually extremely low, but he was striking out just tons of guys. He struck out 36 batters in 30 innings. Um, so he was actually quite good down the stretch. His command kind of was was in and out, but the vast majority of his starts in, in September, um, he only gave up one earned run all through his September run. And then October, obviously, he pitched extremely well. To go to Jay's, Jay's list. Every single time somebody says Brett Anderson, my heart is like I I love Brett Anderson. And but that's like 2006 version of Brett Anderson. Would that it's I mean not actually 2006, but like the kind where he was like fantastic and then got hurt a bunch, and I like drafted him for like four consecutive years <laughs> because I loved Brett Anderson, and then he got hurt. We we all did that. I think that was that was the standard thing that people did. Everybody looked at fantasy baseball rosters and thought, "Oh man, that team that got Brett Anderson really got the the sleeper that's going to win the league this year." Well, there was and a, then he, there was a couple of years there where it was like, "Yeah, Brett Anderson could legitimately be an ace," and you got him in like the eleventh round, and yeah. and then he pitched maybe ten starts. Right? Yeah, you wouldn't get anything out of him. Um, looking at the list, he's he's mentioned all lefties here. I'd throw another lefty on this list, and that's a guy we're very familiar with, Gio Gonzalez. I would not be at all shocked if he came back because they seemed to trust him very quickly down the stretch. I mean, they clearly trusted him more than they trusted Chase Anderson down the stretch, and they put him on their playoff playoff rosters, even though it wasn't really a natural fit. When he was when Gio Gonzalez got put on the uh, roster for the NLCS, it was like, well, the Dodgers really do kill lefties, and it wasn't a natural fit, but he got on that, that roster and pitched some, so... I think they like him, and I think they know that he's a guy that they can wait on and just sit back and come to late in the game. But even if they don't, they don't have a need for starting pitching. I mean, if you're going to add somebody, and this is why we've talked about this a bunch with Sonny Gray, 
if you're going to add someone, it really either needs to be an almost no cost move where it's just a little bit of extra pocket change laying around or a guy that is truly a stud. It doesn't make a lot of sense to try to trade for like a mid-market signing. Like, you know, signing a, 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 a Yulish Sassine this offseason wouldn't make a lot of sense for them. You know, unless they really thought that this guy was had an ability to go above and beyond what they were going to be paying for him. Just because they already have so much rotation depth that adding to just depth in the rotation shouldn't be a high money or high prospect priority. So, like... The, all this talk of trading for Sonny Gray, where it's, you know, he, apparently the, the Yankees were asking for Taylor Trammell from Cincinnati. Clearly, the Yankees are delusional about what value Sonny Gray still has. And nobody should give that up for a guy who's been as bad as he's been and, you know, physically is what he is. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Brewers to either you're going at the top of the market for a starter or you're just purely taking, you know, low cost shot in the dark so i i the one th so i i agree with that uh that point to a certain extent i mean this is what i was saying last off season when we talked about this for a long period of time and why i talked a lot about you know chris archer or somebody of that ilk because i was like you don't they don't need the lance lins they don't need the alex Cobbs to just like throw in and be fodder in the middle they've got plenty of depth what they need is either really uh they need a big addition at the top end or they needed somebody to just come in and soak innings um which is what you know the their kind of split deals were with uh, with wade miley with and then the the two-year deal that they gave with chassin i i am a little bit i i the reason i think that something like a chassin and obviously not exactly him because he's on the team and and all of these things but that kind of move could make sense because the one thing with Shasin that you saw was he dominated righties so much that you were like, and we talked about it last year, that even if he was going to be a starter for one year, he could move to the pen and just be a really solid right-handed reliever. They could sign somebody like that, that they see as a potential mid-rotation guy if it works out, but if not, somebody that has a path to success in the, in the bullpen because it gives them an ability to kind of juggle roles a little bit more. Um, but I actually do think that they're going to they're still interested in a starter because we've seen uh, reports that they were um, in talks with Mike Miner uh, or well with the Rangers over Mike Miner before they ended up trading for for Alex Claudio. Um, I've heard that they've been that they've talked about a couple of other starters with other teams that um, that I don't think it ended up going anywhere like or they ended up not or they're still talking about it. I'm not necessarily sure, but we also hear them connected to, you know, Kluber and we hear them connected to, to other starters, the brewers. Yes. I, I know they're doing their due diligence, but they, they are also looking for starting pitching. Um, and they're looking for starting pitching if it works and if it costs, right. Um, all of the things that we we associate with what David Stearns is going to do. Um, but I do think that they add to the starting rotation. I'm just not sure if it's meaningful or if it's just going to be somebody who's a veteran and comes in on a split deal because they need to make sure that they have options just in case the spring doesn't go that well. Have they lost faith, faith in Chase Anderson and Zach Davies? I mean, do they think they need to have options to replace those guys? I would say not Davies because they put them on their NLCS roster as a replacement. As a replacement. 
But he would, well, they had so many guys that he could have chosen from. And they didn't choose Jay sure. Anderson. They chose Davies. I, th- there's a certain amount of, and Davies was coming back from a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. So I would say they have more trust in Davies than they do have in Chase Anderson. But I think they're also perfectly willing to just go into the season or at least camp and see what Chase Anderson looks like, see what the the stuff is doing, see what he's capable of bringing this year, see if he made any tweaks and adjustments and see if you you have a new pitching coach. Let's see what happens with him working with uh, with Hook and see how that turns out so jp what does anderson need to do to because basically it was his inability to keep the ball in the park he gave up a ton of home runs what does he need to do is there something he can change and obviously it's easier to say than to actually like implement is there something that he needs to change to be able to keep the ball in the park well for him it's well his velocity did dip a little bit last season but it's it's throwing strikes early because the reason why he gave up so many home runs, at least in my mind, and I, don't, I didn't look at the data to to back this up, but it's he pitches high in the zone with his fastball, and if they know a fastball is coming or if he misses a spot, uh, that is a very quick thing to be deposited over the outfield wall. It's a, a very similar to what we talked about with Corey Knebel when he wasn't able to throw his curveball for strikes. Is It was like he's got a pretty straight fastball and everybody knows he's going to work high in the zone. And if you can look for it, guys can still center on, you know, 97. Um, and if they do make solid contact, that's going to go a long way. So I think for me, he's got to be able to, his changeup wasn't as good as, uh, I remember it. And again, I, you know, I don't, I don't have the data in front of me to look at whether, you know, guys were successful hitting it last year or not. Um, but, his curveball needs to still consistently be good to be able to handle righties. Um, his his changeup in the past has been pretty good to be able to give him a reverse split. And one of the reasons why he was so successful in 2017 was his curveball really allowed him to handle righties for the first time in a long time. Um, so I think it's it's really throwing strikes. It's his off speed stuff to be able to set up a high fastball up in the zone and not get clobbered. Um, but. I disagree a little bit in terms of I do I do think that they want to be able to have options just in case because I think that they know that Chase Anderson has the ability to kind of be a mid four ERA guy and we talked about this last offseason it's not news to anybody who's been following this or been you know listening to us um, we've talked a lot about how Chase Anderson has a long history about this Um Zach Davies, we still don't really even know what the injury was other than the fact that they said he had a nondescript shoulder injury and then was out for three months. Like, and they kept telling us it wasn't serious, but then like weren't doing tests on it as far as we knew. And we didn't really know what was going on. And then he just never came back until the postseason. So we don't really know what was going on there or how he's going to pitch. Um, I think Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Nelson, they have really no idea what to expect from him coming back. Yeah, and I think there you're going to be very interested to see how the ramping up process goes during spring training. Like, well, where's his fastball velocity at? What kind of oh, uh, I don't durability know. does he I don't have? even think we've gotten to that point yet. No, no, no. Well, they're going to be at that point next year. But, no, I don't think spring. I don't think in spring training, if you're worried about velocity, that's a problem. Well, no, I it's mean, it's I mean, what it's going to be at various points, because it's probably not going to be where it's going to end up right away. And but there like, are going to be there's going to be a lot of freaking out. We were talking about this the other day that there's going to be a lot of freaking out when Jimmy Nelson is out in 
his first spring training action with the TV cameras on him or something. And somebody's reporting, oh, yeah, Jimmy Nelson just flashed an 89 or, you know, a 90 on the gun. And people are going to lose their minds. I mean, to be honest, I'll be a little bit concerned if Jimmy Nelson comes back and is throw 95 immediately. I'll be like, you probably can settle down. But like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to be throwing 95 in March. Um, but right now, and, and not to like take us away from the questions here, if you had to say, who are the five starters? I don't think we know. No, I mean, there's how many guys would you they've be just, willing to They've bet? just created a fine stew of pitchers that are all going to who mingle together and <laughs> who would you be willing to bet in discounting injury if this guy's healthy he will be in the opening day starting rotation how many guys would you be willing to actually bet that yes like a significant amount of money on or you know something valuable i mean really it's like shasin it's like shasin <laughs> right i mean yeah. other than that everybody else you could be like well i could i think davies will probably be in the opening day rotation health permitting but would I be shocked if he wasn't? I kind nope. of feel like if Anderson's on the roster, he will be. Yeah, he'll be a right. starter. Chase start Anderson. Yeah. And the thing going back to JP's point from before, one of the things that Chase Anderson offers that you don't have in a lot of other places is he has a history of being able to eat some innings. And, you know, the, that is still valuable on some level, even though we're getting further and further away from the 200 inning man and all that. There's still some value in being able to just soak innings for a team because Let's face it, you have to soak a lot of innings throughout a season. So well, and I and I don't and I think you're right, but I think a better way of thinking about it now for for our us and our purposes of trying to figure out, you know, what the the future of, you know, starting pitching is going to be. Um I I don't know if he's somebody that we say soaks a lot of innings, but he's somebody who takes the ball every fifth day. And and that and he's somebody that you can just say he's going to come in and he's going to take the ball every fifth day because he's shown an ability to be uh, durable over a long period of time. And if you look at what the Brewers have in their starting rotation right now, there's not much of that. It's Chassin, maybe Junior Guerra, but like that isn't so much an issue of like injuries. That's an issue of effectiveness and whether or not you want him to take the ball every fifth days. Well, uh, and, and when Anderson does take the ball, it's generally a bad day is like four point something. And what a is, good day is like seven point something. It is funny. Him soaking innings, if he, he's pitching about five innings a game, like, I don't know if Anderson gives him 170, 175 innings in a season. That's soaking yeah. innings now. It is. Well, and that's, the game's changed. That's making 30 plus starts and just kind of getting to that threshold. Because right. I think right now, if you say Chassin... Anderson, Nelson, Davies, and Woodruff. I mean, is that like your tentative five? Yeah, I feel they're going to go out and pick somebody up that we're going to be not excited about. Man, it it's so hard to figure out because, yeah, I I think Corbin Burns should be in that group, and I'd like to see him get a chance to start. Because I think ultimately that's where he can have his most value because I think he can do it. Well, hold on. Okay. So in the bullpen, Hader was really the only guy that they used for like two innings in appearance, like on average. He was the only guy that really had that stat. Well, he wasn't even two innings in appearance. It, it wasn't. But when you looked at his appearances versus innings, like he pitched a lot more innings than he had appearances. Yes, he did. If Burns is in the bullpen, is he also that kind of guy? I think so. 
Like we'll see Corbin Burns make 40 appearances, but pitch 75 innings. I think, yeah, I think that if he's there, unless they want to get to a spot in which they're using him, you know, on consecutive days, and I, he probably can do that. I don't think that that's necessary when, in a, in a lot of ways, then you're setting up a situation in which, uh, and obviously it won't always work like this, and it's overly simplistic, but if you can have Burns and Hayter going multiple innings and you can stagger them every other day, I mean, that's you have got a bullpen ace that can carry multiple innings in you know the sixth, seventh, eighth, wherever you want to place him. And that is, I mean, we saw this with Hayter last year. I mean, we saw it with, you know, if you followed games on Twitter and you follow people that, you know, aren't Brewers fans, or if you follow writers or people, you know, I, I follow people from baseball perspectives, obviously. But a lot of people who are Mets fans and Cubs fans in particular and Dodgers fans that literally when Josh Hader came in the game, they were like, great. Game like over. They were just like, this is two innings that we just worry not about scoring. And we talked a lot about I don't remember, you know, exactly when this was, but like shortening games and that was what the brewers wanted to be able to do with the back end of their bullpen and so many teams you know the royals did this for so long the the orioles tried to do this and every you know especially the yankees have tried to do it in recent years is you try to shorten the game as much as possible by having lockdown relievers that are absolutely elite um and now it's getting to a point in which you not only have elite relievers but you have elite relievers go multiple innings to be able to absolutely shut guys down and if they can shorten it by being able to stagger guys who go multiple innings and can do it at an elite level, you're putting even less pressure on the rest of your bullpen, but also your starting pitchers because you can be much more flexible there. And so if they do have Corbin Burns and they do want him to be a reliever, I do think that he'll go multiple innings. And I think you'll probably see him going on the opposite day of Josh Hader, depending on matchups. I was just going to say it takes the pressure off of council. It removes some of the temptation that must have been there for him to overuse Josh Hader because that was remember in the middle of the summer when the, the screaming was all about getting Josh Hader in games more middle of the summer. It was August. It was, it started in July and then, but it it was, it was August. August. People were upset with haters usage. And then in September we saw basically why they were pulling back on Hader because he then made a lot of significant appearances when they were making that run up to the playoffs. Mm. It It was basically whenever the Brewers were losing. Sure. Right. If you were losing close. Yeah, there was the the famous game of them being down one and them not using Hater, and it created a whole thing. They used Jordan Lyles instead. If you have another guy who's essentially Hater light or right-handed Hater, that does take a lot of that pressure off. And we're ignoring the way that Knable was used in the postseason. Well, Knable can be used that way. Jeffers can be used for multiple innings, too. Like Jeffers was used for, for more than three outs fairly frequently. And Jeffress is used to pitch in the worst situations. Well, and that was that was kind of his thing was come in and be, you know, just a badass in those situations. Well, and, and I think the the thing that I like most about it, and this is like not so much about effectiveness, but like Jeremy Jeffress wanted to be brought in at a game in which there was one out bases loaded and he needed to get out of it. Like he was like he was a get me in the goddamn game. And he wanted to be that guy. And when he was, you know, all this stuff about, you know, everyone showing too much emotion, like Jeremy Jeffress was getting pumped in sixth inning of games when he was getting out of tough spots, like in April. Mm -hmm. And he was, 
he was absolutely loving his role as a fireman. And obviously I know a lot of relief relievers love to close games too. So I'm not saying that like he didn't want to be closer, but you see the Brewers organization right now and you see council and you see guys and, and I'm sure that they hate it in a lot of ways, but you know, if you're not on the major league organization, uh, the major league 25 man roster in April, you are a going to be used frequently and you'll likely be used in important situations. And if you do make the 25 man roster, you'll likely be sent to AAA unless you're obviously one of the top, you know, if Christian Yelich isn't worried about that, but this is a team in which they're creating a culture to say the sixth inning is just as important as the ninth inning. The 26th person is just as important as somebody who is the fourth person on the roster. We're going to need absolutely everyone. Don't worry if you're sent to AAA, you're going to be back. And we're going and come September, we're going to need all of you. And, and we saw this with Woodruff. We saw it with Domingo Santana. We saw it with so many people like guys who hadn't been in the fold for the vast majority of the year came in to pitch in key situations or to have key pinch hitting spots. Keon Broxton. I mean, what he did in his brief times in the big league roster, he was a forgotten man for a good portion of the season. Wasn't particularly hitting in triple A. He came up when Kane was banged up and had himself a, a two week run that we probably won't see again. I mean, that was, I was just watching the uh, top 100 plays of the year on MLB Network on Saturday afternoon, and he had three from like 60 to 40. And oh, I'm sorry, no, he actually he had two from 60 to 40, and then he also had one in like, it was the fifth of the year. And Keon Broxton had just an absolutely remarkable run. It was all within two weeks. And, and you look at the top 12 players on their baseball reference page for the year, and Keon Broxton is in their top players because of those couple weeks where he just, yeah, he, he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's also uh, one of the reasons, I think, and this is obviously us projecting a little bit, but it's why guys like Zach Davies and, and Chase Anderson, you know, were able to be left off of the postseason roster and not absolutely throw a stink, right? Because they knew that there was a chance that they were going to be left in it. But they were also in the dugout during the postseason as well, even if they weren't, you know, on the actual active roster because they were part of the team. And I think if you look at one of the things that I like most about Craig Council, and people will talk about the way he handles the bullpen or, or whatever, and I'm sure there are people that hate Craig Council for whatever reason, his ability to man manage, I think, has been one of the best we've seen. Yeah. Um, so we have a question, Patreon question from Adam Post. Yes, with recent trades of Santana and Broxton, how many outfielders will be on the opening day roster and who will they be? Will utility players like Perez and is it Spangenberg? Spangenberg, yeah. Spangenberg uh, serve as the fifth outfielder or will there be future episodes of the adventures of Eric Thames in right field? I think all the above. We've seen councils willing to put people everywhere. If, if sure. Eric Thames is on this roster, he's going to play some in the outfield. He has to. It doesn't make sense to have him there unless you're going to use him some in the outfield. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So, And yes, Perez will absolutely see time in the outfield. No doubt. Spangenberg probably will. We'll see. I, I believe they were talking about him having done some workouts in the outfield, right, JP? I believe so. Yeah. So all of the above, and I don't think, am I stepping on a future question here? If I say that, like, I don't think they necessarily need to add another outfielder to the mix here, 
given what they have. You you have four outfielders. Gamble's pretty clearly the fourth outfielder at this point. But if you're trying to talk about covering center field, if Kane goes down, who is the guy who's going to move over to center field on a regular basis? And I think it's the answer is pretty obviously Christian Yelich, right? Yeah. Well, we do we do have a question from Jeffrey Emicker on Patreon as well, who asks if there are any triple A uh, outfielders at this point anywhere close defensively to what they had from Broxton or Phillips. Well, I don't think Phillips and Broxton are all that close to each other. I think Broxton was a plus defensive outfielder. Um, Phillips was more of a he was a acceptable center fielder, a plus corner outfielder. I think kind of in the way that I would put him more comparable to Yelich in that way, that Yelich was a plus corner outfielder and could play center, but you wouldn't necessarily want him there. You wouldn't want to pencil him in there for 150 games. But if you're playing him there 40, 50 games, that's... Well, I guess with the moves they've made, um, who's their defensive outfielder right now? Because Broxton's gone as a defensive replacement. Phillips is gone. I mean, Santana was never that guy. But those are kind of the two that you saw as defensive replacements on this team. Yeah, I mean, what well, I just want to... I don't know why I need to feel like I need to defend Brett Phillips. Brett Phillips is a really good defensive center fielder. Yeah, I agree. I think you're underselling Phillips a little bit. I mean, he has, a, he has an 80 arm. But was, defensive run saves were were plus seven in like 200 innings in both 2017 and 2018. Okay, what he doesn't do is he doesn't make the spectacular diving plays, or you don't you don't see you know he's very much. It's obviously not the same because Mike Cameron and Lorenzo Cain are uh, elite, but he's a little bit the same in which he his his reading of balls in center field allows him to get places and. And I think so much because all of the announcers talk about his arm all the time. I think it it does him a disservice. And one of the reasons why he was always on the roster more than uh, more than Keon Broxton is that he was a better. I think that they felt like not only was he a, a plus center fielder in terms of his ability to play defense, but it was excellent in in left field and right field as well. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of Tyron Taylor recently to know if he's at the same level. Yeah, I Tyron Taylor is a big question mark in that you have to think that if given what we know that they've now gotten rid of Broxton and that Tyrone Taylor was put on the roster well ahead of the time when they would have needed to do it to potentially lose him in the rule five that they did that well before then they wanted to, you know, make some sort of statement there or something there must, they, their internal evals of Tyrone Taylor must be really good right now. They must really like him. Well, and there have actually been some scouting reports from this offseason that have actually said Tyrone Taylor is somebody that's probably vastly underrated. Um, and, and that's not to say that he'll come in and be, you know, a world beater, but that he's better than people have said because he's kind of a forgotten man. The one thing that I will say is an outside shot of being the case as well. Uh, Mauricio Dubon in the AFL and in his minor league career, especially in the, the fall before the Brewers ended up acquiring him in the Thornburg deal, um, played center field in the AFL a lot and supposedly looked quite good. Um I don't, and so it's a lot of a lot of um, 
moving pieces. So I think to answer the question more directly for um, what uh, our first Patreon question was coming from Adam Post, it's, I would say, Gamel, and then you'd have, you know, you'd have Yelich Kane, Braun. Um, but then I think your fifth outfielder, quote unquote, is going to be uh, Perez, Spangenberg, Dubon, as it ends up going. Um, and like, I don't, I'm sure that they're waiting to see what ends up happening in terms of injuries. It's becoming really difficult for me to see how Eric Thames is going to make the roster. I mean, it really, uh, and I really like Eric Thames a lot. It's not going to surprise anyone who listens to this podcast to, to know that. Um, I think he could have a really nice year somewhere else. And, and for his sake, I hope, you know, I hope he is able to have a really nice year and I hope he's able to find regular playing time, but I just don't really see where that's going to come. I just, I really don't. I mean, if the national league adopted the DH tomorrow, Eric Thames would be a guy you would pencil in for four to 500 at bats. And you'd be really pretty happy to have him there. I'm not even really worried about, I think he's fine defensively at first base. I don't think he's somebody that can't play. It's just, they have a better option in Aguilar right now. It's just the Brewers roster selection right now and what they demand from their bench players. I don't know if Eric Thames is one of the best bench players that they can have. Right. That's what I'm saying. If there the DH was available to you as a spot where you could just put a guy and have him hit, you would use him and Aguilar. I'm not saying you would use both of them in that position. I think you, you have kind of an older mindset because I think even AL teams don't use the DH in that way, the way they used to. I'm saying that he would be in the rotation for no, the I, DH. No, I, I understand that. But and that, that I would think open up enough at-bats that you would have value For the, the Brewers and looking for flexibility, I don't know if a first base DH is enough flexibility for them to carry two guys and, like that. Right. Well, and I think that if you were looking at what the Brewers would do for DH, they would put Ryan Braun there and end up playing Matt Campbell to make a better offensive out or defensive Ben, outfield. Ben, Ben, not Matt. Well, they're the same. Use <laughs> r- wrong three lettered first name. Yeah. It, it, if anyone on this podcast ever uses the word Matt Gamble, uh, just assume that it's Ben Gamble and we'll get <laughs> we'll get used to it. But it's going to happen a lot. When you, when you say somebody on this podcast, it will be you because you're the one that's made that mistake twice now. Also going to be you. And now I'm going to call you. I will you. not. I also have a concussion uh, history. in which. <laughs> Oh, I can play that card as much as I want, which is why I say things that sound stupid some of the time, and then I don't know what I said. What's it been? Six years since Matt and what's his her name, Julianne? Lifestyle? Yeah, they survived the apocalypse. <laughs> well, I forgot about that. How can you forget their Twitter account? Go check that out. Matt and was it Matt and Julianne? I they had a co-Twitter account. Yeah, it's a co-Twitter account. Go check it out. They survived the uh, apocalypse in 2012. And then disappeared. No, I was going to say, I actually, so I worked for a financial institution in 2012. And like one of the biggest problems running up to that uh, apocalypse was that people were running up their credit cards, like to nobody's oh, business Jesus. because they had been convinced that they weren't going to have to pay it. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that didn't work all that well. <laughs> seems, seems like maybe a strategy that uh, <laughs> a low success rate. Yeah. So, hey, uh, Chris Croninger on Twitter asks, uh, with Keon gone, Gamble still having options, could we see an outfield prospect or two flipping back and forth from AAA? We were kind of touching on Tyrone Taylor. Is he a guy that we could see going back and forth like some of the pitchers they've used? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And by the second half of the season, 
I mean, Corey Ray is going to be starting the season. I was going to say, besides Taylor, who are the other guys? Yeah. Corey Ray is going to be starting the season in AAA. If he has a good first few months of the season, he might play his way into some sort of major league playing time. You don't think that's a little bit too much of a jump? Once a guy's in AAA, they're just, they're very close. I mean, it doesn't take much. You don't have to be that good in AAA. When a need arises, that's who you call on, especially for a top prospect, especially for a number five I, pick in the draft. You don't. I, I think Corey Ray, in order to be called up for meaningful playing time, is going to have to be awesome in AAA because not only has Gamble proved to be somebody that can, you know, be competent over a long period of time if he needs to have extended run. Uh, Troy Stokes is like your fourth outfielder. Like he, he is somebody that you want to to be able to he's got a little bit of pop he's somebody that can play multiple you know he can play both corner outfield spots he's somebody that uh you know you're not really worried about burning um you know starting the service clock and so i think if Corey ray is absolutely smashing the hell out of the ball and somebody goes down with an injury absolutely they'll bring him up or it and if he's smashing the hell out of the ball and in september they're going to bring him up and probably give him regular playing time um but we're or, I mean, if like Jesus Aguilar really struggles and Ryan Braun moves to third base and then they have another out, like there's a lot of ways in which you can see Corey Ray getting playing time if he's smashing the hell out of the ball. But if it's just like they need somebody to come up and fill a spot for a week, I would actually think it's probably more likely that Troy Stokes gets the call than somebody like Corey Ray, unless Corey Ray is absolutely killing it. Yeah, it would be if, if Ray is killing it and a spot opens up for some extended period of time, he's more of a candidate for that. But I would say... One of the things that you you can look at, too, if you want a guy who can come up and play a defensive specialist role early on as a way to break him in, Corey Ray could be that guy, too, because he's no joke in center field. Like, he is sure. some serious but, defensive ability out there. But again, right, you, the question has been surrounding his bat. It hasn't been his defensive capability. And so unless you really need a defensive specialist, he's better served getting every day at bats rather than playing, you know, as a defensive specialist once a week. Well, if Kane, if Kane has a mild hamstring pull and goes on the DL in July and for two weeks, and you know, it's going to be that, but that's not a Corey Ray has been playing well. You could see them say, but again, well, we're going to bring, we're going to bring Ray up and Yelich is going to start in center field most days. And Corey Ray will be the defensive late game replacement and Yelich will slide over to a corner and then Ray will play center. You could but see why, that being a, a viable option for them. But if Corey Ray is playing well, why wouldn't you just play him in center? You, If he's playing that well, you you very well could. You could do that, too. I'm saying there's a lot of different paths this could take. Because of his defensive ability, You he can play multiple roles on a roster. As opposed to, you know, it, he's probably not coming up unless he's truly hitting. Like, they're not going to bring him up. Because if, if it's just for the defense, purely for the defense, then... You have other guys that could probably do that. Ryan, is 2019 the year of Corey Ray? 2019, no. Not we, 2019. Okay. I didn't know how much he was going to be brought up this year because, I mean, he's been a popular uh, topic on the minor league pod. We we basically talk about it every month. Yeah. Was, was, was 2018 the year of Corey Ray? 2020 20 is going to be the year of Corey Ray. Oh, that's not what I asked. Was 2018 the year of Corey Ray? No. It no. was good. It was a good Corey right here. So you think there's more? There's more to come. There's more to come. I'm yeah. I'm such a Corey Ray. You've been a Corey Ray truther since the beginning. Since the, well, yeah, since the beginning. And 
you know, like the guy was the fifth pick in the draft and was, you know, Keith. Law and there's his. never been a fifth pick that has not turned out to be a superstar. Tony Sanchez was the third third pick of the MLB draft, and he certainly didn't get as much love as you've given the fifth pick. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but Corey Ray, there's, yeah. You remember when the Pirates picked Tony Sanchez and everyone was like, he's probably a backup catcher. And everyone was like. Oh, the one I remember was Daniel. Oh, uh, started with an M. Um, he was the fourth pick of the Pirates one year. And they were like, we think he could be a good lefty specialist out of the bullpen. And they took him with the fourth pick in the draft. And they said it in the like when they were speaking to the public. And I think that was right before they fired whoever the jackass was before Neil Huntington. And they hired Neil Huntington. It was like, okay, we're done with this nonsense. Whoever that that lefty pitcher was is college the college lefty. And it was like, we think he could be a, a good reliever. Okay. Well, Going back to it, I think we can look forward to more Corey Ray mentions on the regular, the 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 podcast proper for the rest of the season, he is, right? He's graduating up to the uh, main pod. There's going to be a, a Corey Ray watch every week, I think, from this point on. We will do Corey Ray watch. JP, are you ready for that? I won't have a lot of different opinions. Do we need a hashtag to go with this? So that way people can follow the progress online? Yeah. Look, Corey Ray I'm watch. St- I'm, still, I'm still waiting on Ryan to be able to get you unblocked by Tom Hodricord on Twitter, which he refuses to actually start the campaign, even though he went in on it for so long. Yeah, that long. was a total failure in 2018. <laughs> what are you going to totally fail at in 2019? <laughs> okay, so with that, we're going to wrap up the show. JP, uh, we got a couple new pa- patrons on Patreon. Do you want to give them a little shout out? Absolutely. We did this last and time. I- what was this? We did this last time too, but it doesn't matter. We can give Devin Bearwolf and Tim Young another shout out. Sure. <laughs> Way to update the script. Look, I, I will say that Devin it. Bearwolf having two different I know it's spelled a little bit differently, but having two animals in his last name, that's strong. He has, he has the power of the animal. <laughs> Bearwolf. Bearwolf is is one of the strongest names we've seen from Patreon subscribers, 100%. It is. So if you have a stronger name, sign up for Patreon and we'll shout that one out. What would be a stronger name? You can even use a fake name for all we care. Yes. Like, if you want to start putting in fake names, like we're we're game for that. Come up with the strongest Patreon name. It's our sponsor. <laughs> well, the, as long as the money's real, it doesn't matter what name they use. Look, you sound like a super pack, man. That's let's not <laughs> let's not go that way. Okay. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, remember, you can uh, join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor extra podcast. Sign up now while they can still talk about Corey Ray before he becomes a major leaguer. And then we exclusively talk about him here. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, which will be updated eventually don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher google play and we're on spotify you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast please leave reviews because it's entertaining when we get new reviews i always enjoy it steve really does he brings them into our group chat that we have with us three and andy and it every time it just it's great yeah you you really do enjoy it 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 makes your day I will say, and this is not to say anything bad about Ryan or myself, 
it's always good to have you back uh, hosting the pod, and it's good to have a professional with a, with a much better voice than either <laughs> Ryan or I have to be able to be doing the podcast. It's much more pleasant to listen to. I don't know. I think Ryan can get that if he sits a little closer to the mic. Then he kind of sounds like it. Then I sound like I have the radio voice. There you go. Radio Ryan. So, uh, anyways, thanks for listening, uh, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Don't do